second to last sermon, and we're going to be talking about sex tonight. And um, whether you are single or married or uh, confused um, about what you are, that's okay. Um, and I just want to kind of start off with this question, which is, how are we doing with sex? And I don't mean like rate yourself um, on a one to ten. Um, I just mean kind of in our world, just in general, what, if you were to kind of say this is the pulse of how our world or our country or our city is doing with sex, like is it healthy, is it unhealthy, do we have a healthy grasp of it, an unhealthy grasp of it, just how, how are we doing with sex? And I think if we look at our world and if we look at our city, sex is everywhere, right? So in one regard, maybe you'd go, man, we must have a really healthy uh, view of it because it's just all over the place. I mean, you can't watch a movie, you can't watch a TV show, you can't listen to the radio, you can't, uh, I mean, you can't even watch a commercial without there being something about sex or sex appeal, right? I mean, it's, it's crazy that sex is related to anything. I mean, especially around the Super Bowl, but I mean, Doritos and sex have nothing to do with each other, right? At least they shouldn't, but in, in commercials they do. And shampoo, and I mean, anything, I mean, everything has something to do with sex. Sex is all over the place, everywhere, right? So whether that's advertising or media or movies, sex is just all over the place. And it sells. I mean, that's a common sex sells, right? And yet I think that just because it's everywhere doesn't mean that necessarily we're doing well with it. It doesn't mean there's a healthy view of it. It doesn't mean that there's a healthy understanding of it right? I think our world is really confused about sex. Because on the one hand, I think our world says that, and when I say our world, by the way, I mean our city, and I mean probably in this room. So I mean just the, the messages and the philosophies and the idea, ideologies that we just kind of um, live in and inhabit and then take in. So I'm not talking about that world out there. I'm talking about the world in here, our minds and our lives and everything that affects us. On the one hand, um, we may say that, well, maybe we have a healthy understanding of sex because it's something all over the place, but I also think our world's really confused about sex. I think we are often really confused about sex because one side, it says that sex is everything. I mean, one message that we can believe is that sex is everything. And what I mean by that is we can think, man, I couldn't be in a relationship. One of the you know, great litmus tests of a relationship is their sexual compatibility and sexual chemistry and how, how is that? Or even just the very core of our identity. Sex is often looked at as this is the very core of who I am as a person. And we think about sexual freedom and sexual expression. And we think about, um, I mean, how much money is spent in various sex-related things, whether that's pornography or, I mean, just whatever it is. I mean, millions and billions of dollars are spent on sex. So in some sense, we think that sex is everything. But on another side of things, we kind of think sex is nothing. And what I mean by that is that a lot of times people say things like, well, man, it's just sex, right? What does it mean? It's just sex. Like, come on, it's, what's the big deal? It's just sex. I, I think that our world is actually really confused about what sex is. I think it's really confused that if you, uh, I was, a few weeks ago I was listening to the radio, which is a rare, does anyone even have a radio? Does anyone even listen to the radio anymore? Now with Spotify, so I don't know what I was doing. I was trying to get my 1990 on, and I was listening to the radio. And uh, but Adele, you know, she's not putting her new album on Spotify, by the way. So I, we bought it on iTunes today, but um, which is like the first time I bought something on iTunes in a long time. So, anyways, 
um, went, I uh, was listening to the radio, and back to back, one song was, it was kind of showing these messages. So one song was, man, I need you. You are everything in my life. Without you, I'm nothing. I need this relationship with you. I need you. I need you to love me. I need you to, and then the very next song was, I don't need anybody. I can love myself all by myself. You know, two very contradictory messages, very confused. So I think if we look at, go, man, how's, how are we doing with sex? Like, just what's our understanding? Is, is there a healthy view and understanding of sex in our world? I think it's really confused. I think it's messed up. I think some people go, man, it's everything. Not some people. Some part of us think it's everything. And then some part of our mind is like, well, it's nothing. It's not really that big of a deal. It's just sex. I think, it's, I think there's a lot of confusion about it. I think that we have a really... Um, just a foggy idea of what sex is, what it's supposed to be about, what it's for, how to use it, all, all of that stuff. Um, C.S. Lewis in the 1940s did some radio talks, and those, a lot of those were used to kind of write the book Mere Christianity, which if you've never read, I would highly recommend it. C.S. Lewis is, is a um, Christian author, speaker, and uh, he did these radio talks on BBC back in the day. And um, and uh, he was talking about this issue. This, this is 1940s, okay? So if you think, man, what do we think about sex now? This is 1940s. And what C.S. Lewis said in the 1940s, and it's not just because the British people are crazy, what he said, kind of dealing with this issue of how are we doing with sex? How is our cultural understanding of sex? He said that he thinks something is deeply wrong with the sexual instinct that we have. And here's how, he, here's how he described it. He said, imagine this. So he's going to kind of paint a scenario. And he says, imagine if this happened. He says, you can get a large audience together for a striptease act. That is to watch a girl undress on the stage. Now suppose you come to a country where you could fill a theater by simply bringing a covered plate onto the stage and then slowly lifting the cover so as to let everyone see just before the lights went out that it contained a mutton chop or a bit of bacon? Would you not think that in that country something had gone wrong with the appetite for food? And would not anyone who had grown up in a different world think there was something equally queer about the state of the sex instinct among us? So you hear what he's saying. He's saying, man, something is messed up with sex in a culture if you can do this. Because imagine if you, imagine if you had a, if I had a piece of bacon and I slowly uncovered it and people were like, yeah. I mean, some of you might do that. I might do that actually. If you, and, and people were like throwing $1 bills at the piece of bacon. And I mean, imagine, I mean, you would think something is messed up if people were on the internet and looking at pictures of pork chops and then all of a sudden close it out. When someone else, I mean, you would go, something must be wrong with how they view food, right? Something must be jacked up with it. If, that's, if there's this obsession with food, if there's this kind of mystique around food, something must, that you wouldn't think, oh, they have a really healthy view of food, right? You would go, something's twisted about it. Something's off with it. And this is what C.S. Lewis said. So how are we doing with sex? I mean, I think that was in the 1940s. That was pre-internet. That was pre-Playboy. That was pre-all sorts of crazy stuff. And C.S. Lewis says, man, if, if you walk into a culture like that, you would have to go, something is messed up with their view of food. And yet our culture 
way more so does that with sex. Something must be wrong. So I think just how are we doing with sex? I think we have to say something, something must be wrong. Something must be off. Here's what makes it worse. It's often not even talked about. It's often not something that's discussed at all. And, you know, I was thinking about this. What's interesting is that uh, if you talk to marriage counselors or marriage therapists, they'll tell you that there's kind of three big issues in marriage counseling that come up. And you probably know this um, if you are married or, or you could probably just guess it even if you're not. And those are money, sex, and kids. Those are kind of the big three issues that couples fight about or that they have conflict over. Money, sex, and kids. Okay? But couples rarely ever talk about sex. Couples talk about kids. They'll get together and say, hey, how are we doing this? How are we raising our kids? Hey, I don't like the way you discipline them. Hey, what should we do for our kids? I mean, they talk about their kids. They talk about their finances. But it's, if I, even, you know, for those of you that are married in this room, if I were to say, hey, go home tonight and talk about your sex life, that probably makes you go, oh, that's kind of weird. Like, it's almost weirder to talk about it than it is to participate in it. It's something that's not even talked about. So even this is what makes it even worse is that how are we doing with it? I think there's something very twisted that has affected all of us in our world of our view of sex. And yet it's something that often isn't even talked about. Or it's something that is there's a big line that says we don't want to talk about this. Not even just with married couples, with with anybody. There's a big line that says, hey, sex is kind of one of those things that you just leave me alone with. You can talk to me about this. You can talk to me about that. You can talk to me about my, you can talk to me about forgiveness. You can talk about relationship issues I have with people. You can talk about my patience issues, my anger, but don't talk to me about sex. That's just a line that I don't even want to hear anything about. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a, man, I think if we look at our world, we have to say something's wrong with the sexual instinct in us. And yet, what makes it even worse is it's something that often isn't even talked about. Whether you're married or not married, something that often isn't talked about. And yet, here's the thing. As a pastor, I can say with all honesty that pretty much every single week of my life, I talk with somebody about sexual issues in their life. Pretty much every single week. Often multiple times a week. Something having to do with sex, some sort of sexuality issue. So how are we doing with sex? I think with C.S. Lewis that something is messed up in our sexual instinct. I think that what makes it worse is we don't talk about it. And yet it is so, it's so messed up that it is probably one of the most common issues that I, that I talk with people about whether in casual conversation, or I guess that's not really casual if we're talking about that, but whether in formal counseling or in just, just kind of how's life going conversations. And it's not because I'm a pervert. If you're like, man, you talk about sex all the time. It's just because it's one of the things that people deal with all the time. So if there's a lot of confusion about it, if there's a lot of, if there's a lot of misunderstanding, if something is messed up, I think we got to go, okay, so what do we do about that? And I think we can look at the Bible and hopefully see some things that can help us. And so let's, let's begin with this. And the Bible is going to help us understand a few different things about sex. First thing it's going to help us understand is what is sex for? I've got to take a drink here. <clears throat> what is sex for? <clears throat> and 
oftentimes people have an idea that basically sex is just, um, it's, just an, uh, it's just a bodily appetite. So do you remember back, uh, let's see, okay, there's no one young in here. Okay, so do you remember back, sometimes there's like, you know, like 10-year-olds in here. Okay, so do you remember back, um, I don't remember when it was, early 2000s, I think, and there was that song, uh, you and me, baby, ain't nothing but mammals, so let's just do it like they do on the Discovery Channel or whatever. Okay, so that, though crass and isn't, you know, like, no one would go, oh, that's my sexual mantra. That's what I really believe about sex. I, I think that is actually the most common view that people have about sex. I think the most common view that people have about sex is it's just a bodily thing. It's just, man, it's just, it's, so here's what governs it then. It's just a bodily thing, so as long as it's two consenting adults and you're not harming anybody, then it doesn't matter how you use it because it's just a bodily activity. It's just a bodily activity. It's like a handshake, but a little more intense. It's just a bodily activity. So it doesn't matter necessarily all the different boundaries and things you would put around it. It's just, a, it's just two bodies doing something. That really is the most common view that people have. And so whether it's that song that everybody sung along to in the 2000s, or it's T-Pain, Let's Get Drunk and Forget What We Did, or countless other songs, or countless other movies, or what, like what we talked about last week, the whole hookup culture, it's just basically... Man, it's just, it's just a bodily activity. It's just an appetite that we have, that we just express, that we just use. It doesn't really matter as long as you're not hurting anyone, harming anyone. I think that's the most common view that people have of sex. Whether you're a Christian or not a Christian, if you were to go, man, what governs my sexual ethic? I think the most common view that people have, it's, it's a body thing. And so it doesn't really matter as long as you're not hurting anybody and as long as people are consenting. I mean, why do you think pornography is so popular? I mean, there's a lot of reasons, but one of them is, man, you're not hurting anybody, right? I mean, there's all sorts of things that you can boil down to if you go, man, I think it's just, it's just a bodily thing. I think that's a very common view, in, in, in which case, it's not really for anything other than pleasure, right? It's not really for anything. It's just a bodily appetite. But here's the thing. We know that is not true. I think everybody knows that's not true. So I would say that's the most commonly held belief that secretly or deep down, Lee, we don't actually believe. I don't think anybody really believes that. I don't think anybody believes that, even though most people operate like that, even though that's the common assumption in our world is that it's just a bodily thing. I don't think anybody believes that. And let me, let me give you a few examples of why I say that. The first one is this. And this might sound weird to you, but uh, there's a whole industry that is really taking off. And in the next five to ten years, it's going to be huge. And it's robot sex. And, um, and you know, you might go, that's interesting. Um, but it is interesting and it's weird, but it's true that um, there's a whole industry of, I mean, you, you've heard of sex dolls and all that kind of stuff, right? Uh, blow up toys and all that weird stuff, okay? But there's a whole industry now. That is, and it's very expensive, but they're making animatronic companions that you are able to engage with and have sex with. And with virtual reality and with 3D technology and with all these other things, it's, it's starting, it's a, I mean, it's an industry that's actually starting to really blow up. In about five to ten years, it's going to be very, 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 very popular. <coughs> it's, and it's already popular and it's already really expensive. I mean, to get um, a robot doll 
it's about five to $10,000 right now. But here's the thing that's interesting about this. They're trying to change it because they know they can make way more money if it's not just imitating some sort of physical relationship, but they're trying to change it so that there's an emotional connection that takes place as well. Now, why? If sex is just bodies colliding, if it's just a glorified handshake, if it doesn't really matter how you use it because it's just a bodily appetite that's being expressed, why do they want to make robots that create an emotional connection with you, that talk with you, that have artificial intelligence? And that's what they're trying to do right now. They know they will make way more money if they can create an emotional connection. Second thing is this. Imagine... um, if you've ever been clubbing or if you went to college and you were ever in a frat or a sorority, I want you to imagine a scene at a club or in a fraternity and there's a bunch of people dancing and there's a bunch of stuff going on. And we, would th- we might think, man, this is, see, look, this is everyone's just kind of having fun, just a bunch of consenting adults, just kind of sexually liberated. This is great, right? That may be what we think when you view a scene like that. The New York Times a couple years ago did an article about sex on uh, college campuses. New York Times, not, it's not the Bible, it's, not, it's just, just an article doing, doing research, sex on college campuses. And so they, they take that scene that I just described, that we would go, man, this is, we, we may think, well, this is just kind of sexually liberated people, it's just bodies, it doesn't matter. Here's what the New York Times said, and this is a girl describing her experience in a fraternity her freshman year. Uh, She went to a fraternity party. You go in, and they take you down to a dark basement. Haley, a blonde, pink-cheeked senior, recalled of her first frat parties in freshman year. There's girls dancing in the middle, and there's guys lurking on the sides, and then coming and basically pressing their genitals up against you and trying to dance. Dancing like that felt good, but dirty. And like a number of girls, Haley said she had to be drunk in order to enjoy it. Women said universally that hookups could not exist without alcohol. Well, why is that? I mean, if it's just bodies, if it's just, just doing whatever, I mean, why, why, do we have to, why do we have to do something to shut off our emotions? Or here's, here's, here's another one. This is just from this week. You think about um, the movies that we watch, and they're filled with sex scenes, right? And we go, well, man, that's just, that's just the movies, and, you know, that's, again, it's great. We're sexually liberated people, and... and uh, it doesn't really matter. Here's what Jennifer Lawrence said this week. I had my first real sex scene a couple weeks ago, and it was really bizarre, she told the group of actresses. She's talking with another group of actresses. I got really, really drunk, she continued. But then that led to more anxiety when I got home because I was like, what have I done? I don't know. And he was married, and it was going to be my first time kissing a married man. And guilt is the worst feeling in your stomach And I knew it was my job, but I couldn't tell my stomach that. So I called my mom, and I was like, will you just tell me it's okay? It was just very vulnerable, and you don't know what's too much. I could, I mean, as I was researching and studying for this sermon this week, I could give you countless non-Christian examples of this over and over and over and over and over again. That if we say, what is sex for? And if we think... Man, it's just bodies. It's just bodies doing their thing. It doesn't really matter how you use it. It's just, as long as it's consenting adults and as long as there's no harm, it doesn't matter. It's just bodies. And yet, we know that is not true. 
there's something so much deeper going on than just bodies, such that they want to make emotional connection with robots, such that if you are, even the typical scenes we think of people just at a frat party or at a club, we go, man, why is it that alcohol has to be so heavily involved in those situations? If we think about even actress like Jennifer Lawrence who goes, man, when I even participated in fake sex, I had to get drunk in order to do it. I mean, it's just countless, countless examples that show us it is not just bodies. There is a body and soul component. There's a body and soul component. And I think that we know this I think we even want this. No one wants to really believe that sex is just a physical act. We want to believe it's something more than that. Here's, here's what the Bible says. That I, mean, I, I kind of showed you just some articles and things, I think, that speak to the reality that we know it's something more than that. But he, here's what the Bible says. And I'll show you a positive example and a negative example uh, here, here's what Paul says, t- talking to people, encouraging them not to engage in prostitution. Okay, this is the issues that they dealt with. Um, and he says, or do you not know that he, is, he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Now, look what he says. That the person that joins to a prostitute becomes one body, becomes one flesh. Now, he's not just saying, I mean, it wouldn't make any sense if he was just saying that, if he's just purely speaking of physical. Don't you know that if you physically join with a prostitute, you physically join with a prostitute? That's not what he's saying. He's saying there's something deeply intimate and spiritual happening. And he's saying, it's not just bodies. He says, when two people come together like that, there is a physical union, but there's a spiritual soul union that's taking place as well. And here's how I say that's a negative example, because he's saying, look, don't do that then, because it's not just bodies. It's your soul uniting with someone. You are becoming one, literally, in every way. And the physical is just a physical representation of what is more deeply happening emotionally and spiritually. Here's just all the way back in the beginning in Genesis. What it says with Adam and Eve, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and not ashamed. And so again, that becoming one flesh has sexual connotations to it. But it's so much bigger than that. That's why this is the most popular, when, when talking about marriage and sex, this is really the most popular verse that is quoted over and over again throughout the Bible itself, that it refers back to this, just as Paul did. And he's saying, therefore a man leaves his father and mother, and he joins, he becomes one with his wife. But this oneness, they shall become one flesh, is saying they, they physically, literally become one flesh, but there's so much more. There's a whole spiritual union that's taking place. They become one. See, what is sex for? What the Bible says, what the Bible says is that sex is this spiritual, physical union that takes place. It is 
so much more complex than just bodies. It is two souls becoming one. It is this unifying power that takes place. Sex is very powerful because it is not just two bodies. It's body and soul coming together. It's amazing, right? It's body and soul coming together. It brings complete unity. That's what sex is for. It's to bring complete unity. Not just a bodily unity, not just a soul unity, but it's to bring complete unity. That's what it was designed for. It was designed to be this thing that brings complete unity. It's a beautiful thing that God made. The way um, author and pastor in Manhattan, uh, Tim Keller, says this, is that it, sex is a covenant renewal ceremony. That's how he describes it. That just in the same way, and it might be weird to kind of think of this, just in the same way that we take communion every week to remember the covenant that we have with God, and we renew that covenant with him, that marriage is a covenant. It's a covenant between two people saying, I give you myself, and that sex then is a covenant renewal ceremony, that you are once again renewing the covenant of oneness, of complete unity that you have with another person. So here's how he says it, and I, instead of just uh, paraphrasing, I thought he said it really well. So here's how he says it. When you get married, you make a solemn covenant with your spouse. The Bible calls your spouse your covenant partner, that day is a great day and your hearts are full, but as time goes on, there is a need to rekindle the heart and renew the commitment. There must be an opportunity to recall all that the other person means to you and to give yourself anew. Sex between a husband and a wife is the unique way to do that. Indeed, sex is perhaps the most powerful God-created way to help you give your entire self to another human being. Sex is God's appointed way for two people to reciprocally say to one another, I belong completely, permanently, and exclusively to you. You must, not use to say, you, must, you must not use sex to say anything less. So according to the Bible, a covenant is necessary for sex. It creates a place of security for vulnerability and intimacy. But though a marriage covenant is necessary for sex, sex is also necessary for the maintenance of the covenant. It is your covenant renewal service. So what he's saying is sex is the way that God designed to bring about and to remind people of that complete unity, complete unity. So what is sex for? This is, it's, it's a covenant renewal. It's a way of total unity. It's a way of giving yourself completely to another person. That's why it has such power. That's why even if it's faked in a sex scene, it still has so much power. That's why in order to shut off that part of us that knows that that's what it is, Often alcohol has to be involved because it's very powerful, because it's a way, it's designed to give oneself completely to another person. That's what it's designed for. That's why God made it. God designed sex for us to give ourselves completely to another person, for there to be this powerful, unifying experience of renewing a covenant over and over and over again. Okay, so that's what sex is for. But how can the power of sex, if it is so powerful, how can it harm us? Because what sex is, is this unifying, total giving of yourself to another person. Because that's what sex is, it's very powerful. But what that means is that, like any power, it can be a power for good or for evil. That it can be a power that harms us. Even Paul said this before. He said that 
all other uh, sin is one that we do outside of our bodies. So if I steal from you, I'm, you know, it's affecting you. If I hit you, it's affecting you. But sex is something that's different. It's unique because it's something that we do within ourselves. And so it has this really powerful, it's, sex is powerful. It's very powerful. And so it has a power to unify people, but it also has a power to bring harm. And so I want to talk about a few ways that sex has the power to harm us. Because it's very powerful, and if it's misused, if that power is misused, instead of being this beautiful, unifying experience that God created it for, instead what it can do is really harm us. And I'm going to talk about three ways that that, that, that happens, and, and I hate to even do this in some way, because I should or could talk about all three of these things for hours, each of them. Um, but I'm not going to do that, but I still feel it's necessary to talk about some of the ways that its power can negatively harm us, okay? So if you feel like I'm kind of brushing through some of these topics, I am, um, but I'm doing it mainly to show you how, because sex is so powerful, it also has a deep power to harm, and I want to surface some of these issues in hopes that they allow further conversation uh, between you and your community, and between you and your spouse, or between you and me. Um, and so here's three different uh, ways that the power of sex can harm us. And the first one is this, and I mentioned it earlier, but the first is pornography. You see, pornography is such an issue in our world and has so much power to harm us. Um, you know what's interesting? I was reading this week do you know Playboy is going to uh, PG-13? No more nudity in Playboy, both the magazine and online. Because they said that, they said that, uh, that porn is, you know, it's just basically ruined them. That when Playboy came out in the 1950s, it was all the rage. But now pornography is kind of passe. So they're like, well, we got to kind of do something to keep up with the times. So... We're going to actually put clothes back on people and try to, try to talk more about relationship building. And they're just trying to basically not go bankrupt. Because pornography has grown so much that Playboy is like, we don't know what to do. Let's put clothes back on people. It's crazy. So I'm saying that to say porn has basically taken over the world. It's a multi-billion dollar industry. That, is, that makes more money than, than uh, like, I think it's all the professional sports combined, okay? Now, here's, here's how this is one of the things that can harm us. And I'm not ignorant. I know that this is something that touches probably, I mean, at least half the people in here. Let me tell you a few ways. If you're, if you're married, one of the ways that this can harm you is it makes it, so that you become, it's, uh, like, it's like Pavlov's dogs, you know, back from Psych 101 in college or high school. Um, you, you become cultivated to a particular thing. And so what that means is that you then can't often engage sexually in normal sexual behavior with your spouse because you have habituated yourself to something on a screen. That's one way it affects married people. Sometimes in marriages, it seems like 
and there's, there's, there's not much of a sexual relationship, but it's because one or other, one or both of spouses is engaging somewhere else. And both might even think, man, we're actually fine. We, we never have sex, but it's okay. We're fine. Well, that's not actually true. It's because you're both getting your fill or one of you is getting your fill somewhere else, often the guy, but not exclusively. <clears throat> Here's how it harms you when you're single, though. It, um, it makes your standards insane. I mean, imagine if you're, you know, you know that, and I know that she's not a porn star, but you know that Kim Kardashian spends um, an hour and a half getting her makeup professionally done every single day. Isn't that crazy? So imagine that you, that's just her makeup, okay? So imagine that, I mean, this is not even pornography, but imagine that you're looking at pictures of people that are basically fake. And that's what you're doing. And you're doing that, and, and that becomes then your standard of what beauty is and what, of attra- of what attractiveness is. And then you go into the real world, and people don't have professional makeup artists for an hour and a half every single day. You go into the real world and you go, wait a minute, these people look normal. So what pornography does is it makes your standards insanely fake. You think this is what beauty is. You think plastic is what beauty is. And so then it, it makes it so a lot of single guys or, or gals have a hard time getting married because their standards of beauty are so insanely jacked up. Or what it does is this. It makes it so that a relationship Entering into a relationship seems like a lot of work, because it is. Pornography gives you a false sense of intimacy with a couple clicks. Real relationships are hard and messy and difficult, but if you've trained yourself to get fake intimacy, then the the, the prospect of engaging in real intimacy can be terrifying, right? So... The power of sex, one of the ways that it can harm us is through pornography. And let me say this. Um, Let me say two things. Sometimes I think that people engage in pornography. There's a lot of reasons, but one of the reasons that we can lie to ourselves about is it's not hurting anybody, it's just me. Um, That's false because... Every time that you are engaging with pornography, you are perpetuating the industry. Whether you're paying for it or not, it's getting paid for through ads and all that kind of stuff. You, you are engaging in perpetuating the industry. And even if you feel like you're able to kind of handle it, other people, it's crushing them. And here's another thought. You know, Westward, uh, local uh, magazine, uh, online company here, they did an article... Um, I didn't read the first article, but back in 2010, they did an article about a local porn star and was talking about how awesome she was and how sexually liberated and great she was, and isn't it great, okay? And then this year, they did an article about her, and the truth kind of came out. And she said, actually, I was raped when I was in high school, and then that sent me on a track towards pornography and felt dirty, so who cares what people do to me? You know that 90% of, and this isn't the same with, uh, I don't know the stats on uh, those in the porn industry, but 90% of prostitutes were sexually abused and molested and raped. So anytime you're looking at porn, know that most likely the person you're looking at is there because something horrible sexually was done to her. 
it's not, I mean, it's not victimless. It was some daddy's little girl that something horrible happened to that now is making a living through selling her body. So it does harm people. Sometimes people lie to themselves and say it's not hurting anybody. Well, no, it does. Um, but the second thing I want to say about it is this. That you, you can get forgiveness and you can get help. And Jesus forgives anything. And Jesus brings healing and freedom and restoration to anything. To anything. To absolutely anyone and anything. And you can get help. And you can get forgiveness. And you can, and that's part of what a church is, is people to say, hey, I need help with this. Because it's got a grip on me. And I need help. That's part of why we believe that church is so much more than just a Sunday gathering, that it's people that are a part of a community with other people in their lives, that they can say, I need help. So that's the first one. Second one is this, uh, how the power of sex can harm us. Second one is this, it's uh, when sex is very powerful, and so when it's misused, it can harm us. One of the ways it's misused is pornography. One of the ways it's misused is sexual abuse. 25% of women have been sexually abused. Do you hear that? 25% of women. That's amazing. Sadly amazing. One in six men. And at least with women, and I don't know the stats with men, and it's, you know, this range I'm going to give you is huge, but I think it's because it's hard to discover a kind of stat like this, and depending on what you look like, but between 50 to 90% with women, sexual abuse is not reported. So think about that. And that's molestation, and that's rape, and that's all sorts of things. One of the ways, I'm not saying, so pornography is our fault, okay? Sexual abuse is not your fault, but it's still a way that the power of sex can harm us. And I'm, I want to say everyone I know, but I, just in case I'm forgetting, I'll say almost everyone I know that has ever been sexually abused has not talked to anyone about it un until later. So here's what that means. Something deeply painful, deeply powerful that has affected somebody to the core that causes issues of difficulty trusting people, difficult being vulnerable with people, difficult uh, finding an identity, difficulty with shame, difficulty with all sorts of stuff is hidden and buried and not talked about. And that is horrible. And so, again, I could preach a whole sermon about this, but... I didn't want to talk about sex without bringing this up because if you're married, you might not even know that something has happened to your spouse. And you might not even know some of the issues that they deal with that have come from that. And if you're not married and something was done to you and you haven't even talked about it, you've never really processed it, you've never really dealt with it, you might think you're a freak and you're the only one that that's happened to, and you carry that around, and it leads to all sorts of other issues that you don't even know that that's actually the root of. And so what I want to say to you tonight is this, there is hope, 
for you. And you can receive help, and you can receive healing, and that doesn't have to define you. And the way to receive healing isn't to just bury it. It's not. And I know that goes against everything. And look, some of you are like, why are we talking about this? This doesn't apply to me at all. I know, but I, but I can guarantee you this. I, I can guarantee it. This applies to somebody here tonight that hasn't dealt with this. I just know it from my experience. I just know it. Somebody needs to hear this from God tonight. That there is hope and there is healing and it doesn't have to define you and you can get help. And here's what I want you to do, okay? And I know this goes against everything inside of you that has told yourself to wall it off, to just bury it, to not talk about it. I want you, if, if you would, and this isn't not trying to force you into anything, but I want to give you the opportunity, send me an email, okay, this week. Send me an email, and we can get you help. There, it is not something that you have to deal with alone. You don't, okay? Third way that it can harm us is this, uh, past sin. And if you don't send me an email this week, that's okay. The door is always open for you to talk about that with me, okay? I would say with other people, but I don't want to put other people on the hook. But I know there are people in our church that will talk with you about that also. But the, I'm saying send me an email this week because I know for someone in here right now I know there's a fight that you want to just go okay next point next point next point please next point I know someone in here is fighting with that right now I just know it and I'm, I'm trying to press you to say you can get help but if you don't email me this week that's okay it's not like it's your only shot the door is always open okay third way it can harm us is this um, past sin so, the, look, and I'm not trying to guilt anybody, shame anybody. I'm, I'm trying to show you, here's the kind of beautiful picture the Bible presents of what sex is, that it's this powerful, unifying experience that is a covenant renewal ceremony that is designed in the context of a covenant that says, I am totally yours, permanently, exclusively, totally, body and soul. I'm, I'm giving all myself to you. That's what the Bible describes as what sex is to be used for. Um, but then what happens is if outside of that we've engaged in sexual activity, then a lot of times what happens is that can carry into a, a new relationship. So if you're married, that can carry into a new relationship and you can be carrying guilt and shame from past sexual experiences that you've never really dealt with. Um, you, you may have even done, there's a, there's a book that came out a few years ago called Hooked that was just uh, done by some neurologists, uh, non, not Christians, just a study that was done that shows when, when there's repeated sexual behavior, basically what you're doing is breaking that covenant renewal aspect of, of what sex is. Just sex is supposed to be this, I give myself to you totally, fully, body and soul. But if you instead are just using it as a bodily thing, it actually breaks that mechanism. So then what happens sometimes is you get married, and then sex within marriage 
It's not as powerful anymore. It's just kind of weak and dull. Because you were using it before as just a bodily thing and it habituated yourself to it just being a bodily thing that then within marriage, it just is a bodily thing. And it loses its power. I think God can heal that. I think God can redeem that. But, it's one, of the, but one of the ways that the power of sex can harm us is when there's been past sin in our life, past areas in our life when we engaged, in, when we held the power of sex, not knowing it was actually harming what God intended for it to be. And sometimes what happens is, and this, is, this can be true with guys, but most often it's with gals, that you've engaged in, in the power of sex in a way that wasn't the way God designed it to be, and then you get into marriage and you don't even like it anymore because it brings up, well, this just has bad connotations for me. So here's what I'm saying. When you've used the power of sex in a way that God didn't design it to be, it can create all sorts of issues now when you are using it the way God designed it to be. Now God can forgive and God can make you new and God can change you from the inside out. That is how good of a God we have. He really can do that. I mean, God can do, it doesn't matter. I mean, I don't know everybody in this room. You might be the most sexually broken person to have ever lived in Denver. But God can renew and God can bring healing. God can do that. God has the power to do that. And God will do that in your life. But it begins with acknowledging and saying, God, I need your help. And it begins, if you're married in the context of that relationship, confessing things that you've hidden, or even saying, hey, I need help. I'm beginning to talk about some of those things. Okay. Lastly, how is the power of sex to be used? And I'm not going to have like an infographic now on this, um, because I'm not talking about technique, okay? I'm not talking about technique. It's interesting, though, because usually when we think about how is sex supposed to be used, it's technique. But what I find funny is this. You know, every magazine that you see in the store rack that has 10 ways to please her and 15 ways to knock him out of his socks and 20 ways to do I mean, so they've been producing that stuff for a long time. So really, that means there's about 7,580 ways to do all that stuff, and it, which should make us think, hmm, if technique was really the secret, why does there have to be 7,000 things to do to make it work? And it's not. So how is the power of sex to be used? Okay, if sex, if what it is, if what it's for is this total self-giving, if what it is is this way to say, I belong totally to you, if what sex is is this unifying body and soul thing that God designed for a covenant to continually be solidified and experienced over and over again. If that's what it is, how does that help us understand how it's to be used? And I'm going to give you two things. The first is this. If that's what sex is, it means that in order to work on our sex lives, you have to work on way more than your sex life. Because if sex is a way to say, I'm totally yours and I give myself to you and I belong to you and I'm unified with you, that means that that starts way before the bedroom, starts way before that, right? You can't, you can't have, if, if this is the bedroom, okay, you can't have out here in all the rest of your life impatience and selfishness 
and I don't totally belong to you, and I'm kind of doing my own thing, and I'm kind of living for myself, and I don't really trust you, and I'm kind of angry with you. You can't have that, and I'm not really thoughtful, and I'm not really kind, and we're not really getting, you can't have that over here, and then over here be like, oh man, it's awesome, I'm totally giving myself to you. No, because sex is a way to say, look at all this, that we have this life together, where we fully belong to one another, and we are unified in body and spirit and soul. And then sex is a way to say, yeah, let's, let's remember that. Let's, let's, let's put into physical practice what we've been putting into practice all throughout the week here. It's the same way that if your whole life you're kind of just saying, man, I don't really care about Jesus. I'm not li- really living my life for Jesus. I'm not really experiencing Jesus' forgiveness for me. I'm not really, but oh man, I'm going to take communion and yeah, Jesus is awesome. See, sex, the way that we use the power of sex in a marriage is not just to focus on sex. That's one thing. Any issue you have in your marriage will show up in the bedroom. So if you've got selfishness, impatience, unkindness, anger, a lack of trust, any of those things, that will show up in the bedroom. Because it's, there's a continuity. Sex is the culmination and the expression of oneness and unity of a life together. So what that means is you've got to work on all this stuff. You've got to work on all of that first. Second thing it means is this. Um, and I'll sh- here, here's what Paul says, and then I'll explain this, how this uh, is actually really practical. <clears throat> Paul says, the husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights. And likewise, the wife to her husband. For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. This is actually a really powerful verse, especially in that context when it was written. Because without this part, everyone would have said, amen, oh yeah, the wife does not have authority over her body. The husband does. That would have been really common for that culture. But then he says, oh yeah, and the husband doesn't have authority over his body, but the wife does. See, there's not any sort of dominance happening here. He's saying, you fully belong to one another. You fully belong to one another. But look what he's saying. Because of that, because it's this unity, he says the husband should give to his wife her rights, and the wife should give to her husband his rights. So here's what this means of how we use the power of sex. You need to focus on giving. See, instead of technique, if each person, if each person said, how can I give? How can I give to this other person? Because if that's what sex is for, it's to say, I totally give myself to you. I fully give myself to you. Imagine how different that is from performance and from trying to get pleasure and from trying to get served, but to say, how can I totally give myself to you? How can I serve you? So here's some homework for you tonight. (laughs) This is the best homework you'll ever have. Um, Talk to each other and say, how can I serve you sexually? And I'm talking to married couples, not if your roommates don't ask each other this, but um, (laughs) you, (laughs) um, yeah, don't ask each other that. 
Um, <laughs> I'm sick. Um, that's my get out of jail free card. So um, ask each other that question. How can I sexually serve you? I mean, isn't that such a better question than what can I get? How can I get this? And how can I get that? And what can you do for me? And what can, but to say, how can I sexually serve you better? Because if sex is a way to say, I totally give myself to you. And Paul says that you should give the other person when he's talking about sex, you should give to them. Then very practically what that means is in sex, we should be focusing on how can I give to this person? How can I give to them? Okay, so there's your homework. Talk to each other about that. Um, if you're single and um, you wonder what that means for you, here's what it means. How is the power of sex to be used? What it means is this. If sex is all about being a servant and about giving yourself to somebody because what sex is for is this unifying experience where you totally give yourself to someone, that's what sex is for, that's what it's designed for, if that's how God created it was to say, fully give yourself to another person and be unified with them, then what that means is that now, just like I said to married couples, work on this, what it means is, are you a person that is a servant? Right now, are you living your life as a person that is saying, how can I serve? How can I serve? How can I give myself to other people as a servant? If you're not that kind of person now, you'll never be that kind of person sexually with your, in your marriage. So the way that you can even now begin to work on a healthy sex life is to work on a healthy servant life now. Are you the kind of person that says, how can I give myself to serve? Okay, and last thing is this. Why does sex have such power? What we've been saying is this. Sex is more than nothing. It's more than, it's just sex. It's more than nothing. It's more than just bodies. But it also is something, and it's a pointer to something much greater than what it actually is. See, the reason that sex has such power is because we long for what it is about. We long for unity with someone. We long for someone to totally give themselves to us. We long for a covenant of safety and security that is permanent and exclusive and secure. We long for that. And Jesus says, and we talked about this a little bit last week, but what Jesus says is this, is right before he goes to the cross, he's praying for his disciples, and he says, I do not ask for these only, but also for all those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they may also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Jesus says that one of the ways that we even know that he is who he is, is that he prays that there would be a deep oneness, a deep giving of self, a deep coming together, a deep union, a deep covenanting with each other. So here, here's, what, here's why sex is so powerful. Because it is pointing to a reality that Jesus prays for. 
it's pointing to a reality that says we have a God that fully gives himself to us, that covenants with us, that makes himself one with us, that unifies himself with us. That's why sex is so powerful. G.K. Chesterton, an old uh, Christian author, said that every man that knocks on the door of a brothel is looking for God. Every man that looks for a prostitute is looking for God. Every man that looks at pornography is looking for God. Every man that is at the club is looking for God. Why? Because we are looking for this deep oneness and intimacy with someone. And what Jesus says is, that's what I have come to give to you. That's one of the ways you'll even know that I am who I am, is that you can experience a deep oneness with me and a deep oneness with my people. And when we take communion, what we remember is that covenant renewal with Jesus, that Jesus came to this earth to give himself fully to us, totally to us, permanently to us. He came to do that. He came to unify us to himself. That Jesus is not just a person or some idea, but he's someone that says, I unify you to myself. And so when we take communion, what we remember is though we are people that have gone astray from God, though we've walked away from him in a variety of different ways, he says, I still want you. I still want you to be mine. I still want to make you one with myself. And he was willing to have his blood shed and his body broken in order to do that. He was willing not just to give us a one-night stand, but to permanently unite us to himself. Even though it took his own death to do it. That's how much he's loved us. And that's why sex is so powerful is because it points to the reality of a God that would fully give himself to us. Fully, fully, totally unify himself with us. It's what we all long for. It's what we all crave. That's why sex is so powerful, but it's also why it's not ultimate. It's why it's only the appetizer that points to something much greater, which is the God that unifies himself to us. So pray with me as we take communion and sing songs. Thanks for uh, being patient with me in my sickness. I know mine is a little foggy, a little slow tonight, but thanks for being patient. God, thank you that you uh, have given us sex as a gift to, more full, to, to, to partially show the kind of God you are, to show us in part that you are the kind of God that would give himself totally to his people, that you designed sex to be this place where there is unity and oneness, and yet the ultimate unity and oneness is that you came to unite us to yourself, and so I thank you for that, God. Thank you that you would unite us to you, that we are unworthy of that, that we are so much different from you, so incompatible with you, and yet you would draw us to yourself and unite us with you, and that it took your death to do that. Thank you for being willing and eager to bring us into union with you. And Lord, I pray for everyone in this room that carries around guilt and shame, that you would bring forgiveness and wholeness. Lord, I pray for those that have been sexually abused, that carry that and bury that, that you would allow there to be freedom and healing. I pray for those battling 
pornography and those that have hidden that and nobody knows that you would bring it to the light and they would be willing to get help and to seek forgiveness from you and from others. And God, that you would allow there to be freedom. I know that you can do that. I know you want to do that. I thank you that you are God that makes our identity new and brings total healing and forgiveness to our lives. Thank you for that, Jesus. Help us as we sing to remember how good you are and to remember deeper the truth that we sing. In your name, Jesus.